There is a dark wind carrying through the trees around our town. It pulls, it spirals, it pushes, and it carries a chill that cannot correctly be called bone chilling because it is so much worse than that. Upon this wind wafts fears and the voices of those who have been lost, forever calling out in vain. I am calling from Elm Lake. for what feels like weeks now. It cuts through everything. Doors, windows, blankets, jackets, and any semblance of hope that I once carried. I've heard it whispered to me from around darkened corners, and I've listened to it shout in the wide open spaces. It has made the schoolyard uninhabitable which has put everyone in town on edge. We've never been ones to want for enough to eat, and we aren't now, but for some reason, the lack of opportunity to visit our fellow citizens at their stalls has filled everyone with a sense of deepening dread. As the wind blows and our fears deepen, something has been rising. I stand corrected. Some things have been rising. The growling noise that echoes from the bunker has grown louder, as though whatever is making it has been drawing closer to the surface. The air temperature has been almost imperceptibly, but steadily climbing. And each morning, spilling out of the ground, as though it all pours from one singular point, a blanket of fog rises to greet us. It is, in a word, unsettling. I've been hoping that these strange occurrences would mean that Jenny Fowler was returning soon. She's still absent. One morning, I thought I caught a glimpse of a flower petal in the studio, but it was merely a scrap of paper. The only thing written upon it was the word moon, but even that was in a shaky hand and poorly misspelled. Every night, I walk the paths that Jenny once walked, hoping to find some sign of where she vanished to. Every day, I stop by Amelia Ashford's house, hoping to catch some glimpse that shows me she simply has been home this entire time. And every time I dream, I feel like I'm poking through, 
catching glimpses of another place, another Elm Lake. One where there was never a bunker and where Marcus Grant never started smiling a broken, crooked smile that never quite reached his eyes. I need to talk to someone. I can't talk to Marcus because that cold smile is enough to keep me away. I also avoid Angus, who has taken to stalking through town tools at the ready at all times and a feverish look in his eyes. I thought I saw something dripping off of his right hand one day, but when I looked again, it was gone. I feel like I'm losing my mind and I don't know who can help. He's lost his mind. That's it. That has to be it. Why else would he continue to parade around the nest as though it's the correct one? I know it isn't, and I get the feeling Amelia is on my side about this. But Marcus? Oh, he keeps acting like everything is just fine and that it's exactly where we're meant to be. I tried to approach him once in this strange place where time apparently has no meaning. Only once. He smiled. A cold, dark smile, and his eyes focused just past me. I don't know if he fully saw me, or even understood. He said nothing, and then stepped behind the counter, retrieving a cup of coffee. He's had so much coffee. It seems to be wearing him down somehow, but he isn't stopping. I don't know if he's eaten, because if he does, he doesn't do it here. Here, it's only myself, Amelia, and the flickering image that looks like Lorraine. Lorraine. I'm sorry if I'm the cause of this. You were always kind to me, even when you were presenting a gruff demeanor. Mostly... You cared, which is more than can be said for a lot of people, whether they're from Elm Lake or not. I thought I saw you cry the other day, but then your image shifted and you were before us, presenting us with some sort of a lunch meal. That was the first time Amelia and I ate together. It finally happened. Our timelines synced over 43 different meals, spaced out at impossible to track periods of time. Jenny and I have now eaten together once. It was nothing of consequence, of course. None of the food here is. The other 42 meals had me suspicious that Jenny wasn't actually here and that I was still trapped where I had been, trying to call out, warning people to stay in their homes. Either that or that she was the one pulling the strings putting on a show to lure me to complacency so her accomplices could do whatever they had planned. After one meal, though, I'm not so sure. She may just be as trapped as I am. One of the times where Jenny was eating and I wasn't, I happened to look out the window of the diner. 
I haven't often because I know I can't leave and I don't want to let my hope grow wings, but I looked out this time and was amazed at how many people I saw on the street, walking, conversing, acting as though the eternal day was completely normal. I saw Angus whittling a toy for a small child. I saw Jonas gathering props for a rehearsal with his improv group. I saw Bill and Rebecca dancing together without a care in the world, not realizing their missing daughter was mere yards away from them and potentially not realizing they had a missing daughter at all. As I watched, I saw smiles, laughter, and joy. When I looked more closely, it all appeared plastic, covered with a fake skin and with gumdrops where the eyes should be. I shook my head, trying to wrestle the image free, willing it to return to the happier moments, but the more I looked, the more the veneer of anything pleasant melted away. I looked back to Lorraine, who continued to flicker, and to Marcus, who had stealthily entered, smiling his dark smile. It wasn't until I shared the meal with Jenny that I realized that there was one person I never saw outside the window. I haven't seen the fog in a couple of days now. This is, ostensibly, a good thing. On the flip side, I haven't seen the sun either. Dark has been lingering, smothering Elm Lake. Even the lights that normally keep the town comfortable have seemed to be struggling, fighting against the ongoing night. The air is no cooler, the wind no less hungry, but the sun and the light have been conspicuously absent. I still haven't found anyone to talk to, or at least not anyone I feel I can trust. I thought about seeking out George, but he's devoting all of his attention to the bunker almost as though his worry for Lorraine is drowning out whatever growling is coming from within. I want to help him. I want to be part of his journey, but I know that, for whatever reason, my own path is different. And it's tied up with a young woman who returned to Elm Lake, carrying answers and more questions with her. started to believe that all was lost and began to consider resigning myself, giving in like so much of the rest of Elm Lake has seemed to. That is, until I happened to look down and saw the scrap of paper with moon written on it again. I don't know why I hadn't been more persistent. He may not have any answers but I need to find out for certain. I need to talk to Jorge Sanchez. He's going to try. He's going to attempt to solve things. Bring things back. Restore them. But he can't. It's too late. It's always been too late. Even when it's too early. 
He's going to try to get answers. But the questions will always be wrong. Neither Jenny nor Amelia understand either. I've brought them here. I've saved them, but they don't understand. How can they? Time has no meaning here, and without meaning, how can there be understanding? Lorraine is here, but she isn't saying anything. I don't even know if she can, to be honest. She sometimes looks at me, eyes pleading, but her gaze flickers away almost as soon as it falls on me. I need more coffee. I can't sleep. If I sleep, the defences I've built could crumble. The crisp bite of the air as the temperature slowly, imperceptibly falls helps me stay awake. But the coffee helps more. I must stay awake. For the sake of everyone I've been able to reach. And those I haven't gotten to yet. Sleeping won't keep the growling at bay. And it won't keep the sun in the sky. don't know how I didn't see it before. It should have been obvious with the darkest of skies, the strange fluctuations, the way that everyone in town is acting differently than their normal selves. The moon, that silvery disc that Jorge attempted to capture for our moon festival. She must be the key. Jorge rambled something about how he didn't capture it. It was all illusion. He then rambled further that while he didn't capture it, someone else did and they never put it back, despite appearances. Could the moon really be what's causing everything right now? Is it what made Amelia vanish? Did the moon make Marcus smile emptily? Is Jenny somehow a figment of its power? In some ways, it all makes sense, even while nothing truly does. But when nothing makes sense, choose the nonsensical, right? Jorge says, I need to find the moon. And when I find the moon, I'll find Jenny, Lorraine, George, Emilia, and Marcus. And I'll be able to hear what has been hidden this whole time. According to Jorge, there are secrets in the moon that have long been dormant. And somewhere, those secrets are waiting. Elm Lake is waiting.
Calling from Elm Lake, episode 19, Rising, was written and produced by Sean Monahan. The voice of Elm Lake is Sean Monahan. The voice of Jenny Fowler is Emma Sala. The voice of Marcus Grant is Mick Reyna. The voice of Amelia Ashford is Maddie Stewart. Opening and closing themes written and performed by Sean Monahan. All other music written and performed by Matt McInnes. Find out more at machinismusic.com. You can find us on social media on Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, all for a little social media strangeness. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, please leave a rating and review on whichever podcasting app you found our feed. Doing so could help bring new listeners to the call of Elm Lake. If you'd like to support us as we unfold this story, add new voices, and just generally continue to explore this particular creative process, you can do so at www.patreon.com slash calling from Elm Lake. Your support will help us continue to grow and expand on the story and hopefully be able to add even more content within the universe of Elm Lake. The moon exerts more power over us than we are comfortable accepting. It also has far less sway over our lives than we can hope and dream it to hold. (laughs) 